0: Welcome to the Well Community Totes. Take a few moments to breathe with me. Just in, out. Do you ever think about your breath? With all that we have going on every day, who has time to really think about their breathing? It's something that we do all the time, but we don't give much thought to. And that is until we're suddenly faced with the reality and the realization that we need to breathe, that we need fresh air, we need air, but perhaps we're unable to get it. So we used to have this raft up at my cottage growing up, and it would float out in the middle of the the lake, and it was just this square wood structure slapped together with two by fours, a couple sheets of plywood on top, and it had in each quarter underneath uh, an inner tube filled with air, which helped stabilize it and allowed us kids to kind of climb up onto it, wrestle, throw one another off, and get back onto it. It was a pretty fun raft. We used to play this game, King of the Castle, where you just wrestle, throw one another off into the water, and then with all your strength, get back on, try and fight your way, to stay on and be the last one. And you would go on and on until either you were just too tired or until it was dinner time or until someone got hurt. That's kind of the way kids' games go. But there was another game that we would play, and it it wasn't so much a game. It was more of a challenge. And the challenge was we would all stand together on the corner of the raft and try and get the opposite end to start lifting up, lifting up, and we would all try and stay on as, as tight as we could and tightly packed without slipping off, in order to get the raft to finally flip. That was kind of the ultimate challenge. And as little kids, you don't have that much weight, so you're trying and trying, and oftentimes it would just splash down, send waves and ripples all around. But the one day, I remember we got to the raft, and at this point there were about four or five of us, and we climbed on and we said, let's try and flip this thing. We had a couple bigger guys, and we thought, we can do this. So we start going, and the water's getting up to our knees and waist, and it's starting to go, but we just couldn't get it to flip. So then other kids started joining in, and I think a couple adults finally joined in. So we had about 10 of us by this point, and we're all huddled together, trying to stay on that corner as the raft is going up and up. Suddenly, the raft reached its tipping point, and we all fell into the water, and the raft came crashing down on top of us. And I just remember that moment of panic, of swimming, and not knowing which way was up and which way was down, and bumping into bodies and getting feet in the the head. And and I, I went to get my breath of air, and I hit the now flipped over raft. And I'm just swimming as hard as I could to get a fresh breath of air. And although I vividly remember the feeling of being terrified and the emotions, what I remember the most were the feelings when I finally got my first breath of fresh air. When I finally made it above the water and I just gasped (gasps) and breathed in as hard as I could and my lungs filled with air. And as I exhaled, I was thankful for the gift of air, breath in life. And I don't know if I would have described it this way at the time because I was probably 12 or 13, but it was euphoric. Just yes, I'm alive. So tonight, I want to invite you to breathe. Because breath is essential to life. Without breath, there isn't life. So I invite you to breathe in life. And then I invite you to step into this new life that we haven't just been given, but that we're continually being given as we continue to breathe in and breathe out. So this summer, as you know, we've been journeying through the Psalms, summer in the Psalms. And the paradigm that I was using, if you can remember way back when to the beginning of July, is the Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and Psalms of reorientation, or as I prefer to call it, psalms of new orientation, because it's not just about going backwards. But orientation is where we all start. It's our starting point. It's our foundation. And if you want to think of it in terms of Lego blocks, because I've been playing a lot of Lego with Landon, it's not even just the base row or the few blocks that start building the structure. It's kind of the green mat that you start building things on. That it's your base layer, and it's your foundation but it doesn't yet have the contours and the dynamics of all that is life. Because as we know, orientation is where we begin, but it, it's not where we stay. It grounds us, it gives us truths, it, give us, it gives us our foundation, but seasons of disruption come. And disruption doesn't always have to be bad disruption, bad things, but it's just anything that challenges us, tests us, pushes us to our limits, brings out questions and doubts and and wrestlings that may have been hiding deep down within us for years. And these seasons, they they force us to move out of this black and white world, this very flat world, the green Lego mat. And they do that by creating disruption and and possibly even chaos. Chaos disorientation adds a dynamic to our lives, to our world, to our faith, to our churches, which I believe if we do the hard work of working through it, actually helps us. And I mean that we may need to work really, really hard, because ultimately disorientation is disorienting. But if we do the really hard work of leaning into our questions, our doubts, our challenges, our struggles, of making sense of this new season that we're in, and we seek to discover how God meets us where we are, what I believe disorientation then does is it helps us remove our masks. Because sometimes things can just be going so well, but then as we start slipping in to some of these struggles, our first response is to put on the mask that we're still good. But a season of true disorientation, I believe, helps us take off the masks if we're willing to do the hard work. It helps us to be more vulnerable with one another. It allows us to care better for one another. It allows us to cultivate a community of authenticity and acceptance which, by the way, three of those things are our church's values, community, authenticity, and acceptance. So tonight, as we look at the Psalms of new orientation, this shift from disorientation to new orientation, we have to remember that there's no magic formula, there's no cookie-cutter approach, there's no one-size-fits-all way of shifting from disorientation to new orientation. This is something each of us will experience and navigate differently. What I love about this, though, is that the Psalms don't illuminate how we receive the new experience, but what they do is simply give expression to it. Because I think if it just went through how, we'd kind of, again, just go, gravitate right to that. Okay, give me the three steps. But what the Psalms do is give expression to this shift from this state of despair to a state of hope. So tonight, I want us to view new orientation as an invitation. It invites us to step into new life. It's not a life about going backward and turning a blind eye to the disruption that we've experienced, but it's a step forward into a new life that's been redefined and refined by what we've experienced. It's a life that's been set free. It's a life that's learned what it means to live fully right here, right now. It's a life where our eyes have been opened to the beauty of all that is. And while realizing that life comes with pain and suffering and sorrow, it's also about knowing that that's not the last word. This is the psalms, and this is the power of the psalms, and this is the beauty of the psalms. You see, to explain something so raw and so beautiful and so full of love, it needs artists. If I were to to describe and explain the the love that I have for Amanda and Landon and Kinsley, it's, it's not about going to the scientist and asking, for help, to help me explain it and understand it. I need the poet or the painter. I need a song or a sonnet. And as one author puts it, beauty can only be described with beauty. There's no substitute. So the psalm we're going to be looking at tonight is Psalm 40, and that's why I showed that, that video of you 2 playing their song, 40, which is an adaptation of this psalm. They're expressing beauty with beauty. This is the psalms. And this is what I love about this this psalm of new orientation. I I love the the line that comes from their song, which comes from verse three, that says, I will sing, sing a new song. Because I truly believe that when we experience new orientation, as we're coming out, we're making this shift towards hope, towards divine deliverance, a transformation from disorientation to new orientation, which is made possible only by God, I believe it's only natural for new songs, new energy, new hope, new life to rise up within us. So let's dig in the Psalm 40. So it starts off by saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And these verses, they're an imaginative description of past deliverance. Much like saying, man, I'm in over my head. They're, he, he's recalling this deliverance. Now, this psalm's attributed to David, so I'm going to continue to refer to it as a psalm of David. And he's coming out of this season of disorientation. He's looking back on God's rescue. And In fact, this psalm is considered to be a psalm of thanksgiving. But as we're going to continue to see, what he writes is not just about how he perceives the past, but how he perceives God now. And it's also important to note here when it says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's not this, ah, I'm terrified kind of fear. It's about a trust, fearing Yahweh, fearing God. It's about, it's not about expecting sinless perfectionism. It's about establishing a loyalty and a dependence upon God that brings us back and back again and again, seeking his forgiveness and his blessing. So he goes on to write, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who, do to, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. And what jumps out to me is that the things you planned for us. Because again, it's not merely this looking back and recounting the deliverance. There's this forward movement. There's progression. There's development. It's not a static place of being, and it's not about looking to the, back to the way things used to be. There are things that have been planned for us. But are we truly living into who we truly are? and who we're, we're called to be? Are we breathing in this new life? And are you releasing you and all who God's created you to be into the world? David recognizes there's a plan for him. And I believe there's a plan for each and every person here tonight that God's inviting us to step into, to live into. And he, he's wired us in such a way that we're not just taking up space on this planet. We're, we're here to, to share that voice, to, to share that new song that's rising up within us. You have something to offer. Our faith, just, just like the word of God, Hebrews four, living and active, our faith needs to be living and active. It, it ought to be alive. It's about living and breathing, and as we breathe in this new life, and as we breathe out and exhale, we breathe who we are into the world around us. We we can speak life, or we can speak death. There are things that have been planned for us, but are we living in to that? So David goes on in verse 6. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, it didn't strike me at first, upon first reading. But what's interesting here is this is pre-Jesus. This is before Jesus. When we think God doesn't require sacrifice, God doesn't require these burnt offerings. It's what's within his heart. That makes sense to us because it's kind of been expanded later in the New Testament and once we, we discover and understand who Jesus is. But because this is happening pre-Jesus, there's a lot of scholarly debate around this. This shift in emphasis from sacrifices to the posture of your heart. But I believe what's happening here is that we're witnessing an evolving, growing, living, and active faith, which is happening as a response to life after the destruction of the temple, which would have meant the end of the sacrificial system, because they had no place to go to make their sacrifices once their city was seized and the temple was destroyed. So you see, suddenly, their world their center of being, their way of being close to God and being in relationship with God was turned upside down when the temple was destroyed. So the Jewish people had to, in a sense, reimagine God for a new day and age, a new world, a new culture, a new way of being. And as they wrestled through this, as they cried out to God during their dispersion and disorientation, they began to understand God in new and fresh ways. And it's not that God had changed, but the old way in which they understood him didn't work anymore. They've realized what God really wanted was open ears and a heart that was willing to allow the Torah to guide it. So again, it's not this strict black and white adherence just to the Torah. It's to allow the wisdom of the Torah to shape your inner being. And I believe God still wants the same from us today. He wants our ears open, our eyes open, our hearts softened to allow him to guide us and lead us in new and fresh ways. When it says you've pierced my ears, it quite literally means you've dug holes in my head. God opened these new ears for David, meaning he's he's given David this new understanding. And David is experiencing this new orientation. Again, it's not going back to the old ways. It's, It's understanding God in these new ways after what he's been through. But what I love most about this is that wherever we may find ourselves, God and God's word penetrates deafness. Our hearts might be hard, our eyes closed, our ears shut off. But God and God's word penetrates deafness. David's beginning to understand that the scrolls and the scriptures that he possesses are not about it being a rule book. Or a black and white instruction manual used to control his or anyone else's life. But rather it's wisdom. It's about wisdom and how this wisdom guides us and shapes us and leads us into new life. The wisdom of God is at work in David's heart. And David realizes that this new life is about staying grounded in spiritual reliance upon Yahweh. It's not about military, political, or financial power. So then he goes on in verse 9 and he says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. And what we saw in verse 8 was an inner commitment. What we're now seeing in verses 9 and 10 is an outer testimony. Because when God does a work within us, I believe it's only natural for it to flow out of us. In fact, in fact, That somewhat summarizes our our mission as a church, making Jesus known, seeing lives change, transforming our community. Because as we encounter and experience Jesus in our lives, our lives will be changed. They will be transformed in and through Him. And we're then called to give new expressions to it, to tell our story, whether it's a new song or to a friend over coffee, or on a blog, or you might journal, or you even might write a book or two about it. It's about creating new expressions. And even the well as a whole is a new expression of what God's doing in this community. The the umbrella that we're under is under new ventures. And they didn't want to just call it church planting because they want to allow God to move in ways that might not necessarily even look like a church. But again, new expressions of what God's doing in the midst of individuals and communities. Man, sometimes I feel like I talk so heavy, but I'm like, I'm actually excited about this. I'm like, I'm just, to get to be part of this, to get to experience it for myself, and to witness what God's already doing among us. It's awesome. So these songs and these stories, they're not about the natural outcome of trouble, but they're about the decisive transformation made possible by God, who creates new life where none seems possible. Proclaiming righteousness here is the practical equivalent to the New Testament proclamation of the gospel. It's about sharing the good news. It's about sharing what God's done and is doing. So David doesn't keep God's righteousness and faithful saving love to himself or under wraps. He shares it. And when we experience new life and energy and hope, what's the first thing we usually do? We share it. David doesn't keep this hidden. He publishes it. He's experiencing a new awareness and a new understanding of God and who God is. But what we're about to read next gives us a glimpse of David's groundedness. So in verse 11, he says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Suddenly there's this shift and it seems as though he's in trouble again and it's gone back to a plea. But what I believe is happening is that he realizes that this newfound understanding of God and who God is doesn't remove the fact that there's still troubles in life, that there's still the seasons of disorientation and disruption. David's new orientation seems to be grounded, not in a naive faith or turning a blind eye, but in a faith that has been tried and tested and has been made stronger. New orientation is not about going back. Once the masks have been removed, there's been real honesty. We can't simply go back to the way it was before. However, what we instead discover is grace upon grace upon grace. And I know I've admitted several times that it's hard for me to share my feelings. And one of the reasons is because as I've been vulnerable in the past and have taken the mask off, sometimes you get hurt. Sometimes it's abused. And other times... People wanna just keep checking in on you and it's like, let's put this mask back on because it's just easier. But what I believe is that as we step into this new life, this new orientation, as we do life with Jesus, we discover grace upon grace upon grace that we can remove the mask and we don't wanna go back. So David Wraps up the psalm by saying, be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. As David enters into this season of new orientation, he recognizes the call to patient endurance and expectant anticipation. And I believe we too, no matter where we are, are called to endure faithfully, patiently, expectantly. It's kind of like Bono's line in his song 40 that says, How long to sing this song? And as I th- even reflected on the way he kind of adapted that, as it's this, we enter into this new orientation, we enter into this new life and this new way of being into the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And we know it's. The kingdom that's now and not yet. It's kind of how long to sing this song. How long are we in this period for? But we're called to endure faithfully, patiently, and expectantly. Psalms of new orientation bear witness to the surprising gift of new life. Experiences and expressions of new orientation are always rich and varied. But it's not about the blind trust. It's not about even grinning and bearing it. It's about stepping in to this new orientation, having been transformed by the person of Jesus. It's about breathing in this new life and living here and now in the kingdom of God, which is both now and not yet. But as we continue to step into this new life, will continue to be changed and transformed by Jesus. The Psalms are an invitation into this new life. They invite us to articulate what's going on within us. They invite us to have our ears, eyes, and hearts open to the redemptive work of God in our lives and our world. And because we have the fullness of scripture, we, we have the whole Bible, we can see that the Psalms point us to the person of Jesus. In fact, Psalm 40 is quoted in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 10, where it points to Jesus fulfilling the laws, where it points to Jesus who makes us holy through his sacrifice, and who promises to be with us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. So tonight, are you longing for breath? Are you yearning for new life? Fix your eyes upon Jesus, let him get you unstuck from the muck. Let Jesus give you new life and transform you from the inside out. And then let a new song rise up within you and burst forth out of all of who you are. So tonight I just I invite you to slow down and breathe. Breathe in the goodness of Jesus. As you inhale, Just pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. And as you exhale, pray, Holy Spirit, send me. You can breathe because we have a God who loves us and who loves you.